Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. I'm going to share a testimony just because I can, and I have the, the mic, and no one's going to tell me not to, so, but last week, you know, we, we, uh, we transitioned from a time of worship and song to a time of worship in the word, and in between, God did something. God showed up. God healed people right here in this service, and God's going to continue to do that. I, I want you to understand, God, like, what God is starting to do is just the surface. God, God's, God's just wetting our appetite for what he wants to do, and I shared a story about how my friend texted me and he said, I need you to pray for my knee. Um, I don't know what I did. He, uh, he just couldn't hardly walk on it, couldn't put pressure on it or anything. And so as he said that, I, I, I told him to, to go soak in the Epsom salts and stretch it and he would be healed. And he did and he was healed. In fact, after he did that, he did CrossFit the next day because he's technically insane. And but he was doing CrossFit training, and he's like, my knee feels great. It's like, and even this morning, he texted me. He's like, my right knee is completely healed. This is like over a week later. And, but I want you to get this. This is how God works. It's so beautiful. He was speaking at a Christian school up in Indiana, and I told him about what the Lord did here last week. And how we shared that testimony, and the Lord said, ask people if they need to be healed. And so we did. And uh, he's like, I'm going to share that testimony. And he shared it at the school. And 20 minutes of testimonies after he got done preaching of kids being healed. Of one, one girl, she had an a, a ankle injury that was like permanent. She couldn't hardly walk on it. Completely healed. I, I mean, like, like there is a suicidal thoughts gone. I mean, 20 minutes of testimonies in a school of God's goodness. And, and there is power when we testify to what God has done. He's a good God. And there is something beautiful about bearing witness to that. That's why Jesus says in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. What does a witness do? They testify about what they have seen and heard. And that's what we're called to do. And, and I, I wanted to share that because God is still doing. God is still doing miracles. And he's going to continue to do miracles through his church. And he's going to continue to confirm his word with signs and wonders. I believe there, there are people in here today that the greatest miracle of all is they're going to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, or they're going to recommit their life to Jesus. That's the greatest miracle of all because the Bible teaches us that when we accept Christ, we go from death to life. We are literally resurrected in our spirit. And we go from eternal death in hell to eternal life in Christ. There are going to be people here today that, that decide to follow Jesus or recommit their lives. There are people here today that God is going to heal their bodies. Like, I want our expectations right there. We serve a great God, and he's a miracle-working God. And we, we all have expectations. We all have expectations. And some of us, 
got up this morning and we got halfway to church before we realized we were on our way to church because it's that much of a habit. Some of us are here because we got invited to come to church and, and we don't know what to expect. Like, isn't that, that's, that's one of those Pentecostal churches, right? You know, like, I don't, I don't know, are they crazy? Or, you know, like, we don't know what, what to expect. And yes, we are Pentecostal and I'm crazy anyways. And so that, there, there is that. But we all have expectations. And so I'm on a level of the playing field. Let's expect God to be God. All right? With that said, today I'm going to speak to you about expectations. And we're going to be looking at Matthew 21, 1 through 17. And bear with me this morning. I changed my scripture this morning from what I've been studying all week. Um, but this is a word for today. The Lord told me to change it. We're looking at Palm Sunday. And you might wonder, well, is this Palm Sunday? It is Palm Sunday. And why is it called Palm Sunday? Well, we're going to read about it. This is actually why in our calendars it says Palm Sunday. It's this right here. So let's read it. As Jesus and the disciples of approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them ahead, two of his disciples. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with, it, with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. I want to stop right there. Luke's account actually shows them walking in to the town. And they walk in, and they see the colt of a donkey tied up right there. And as they're untying it, Jesus said, if anyone asks you as you're untying the colt, this is what you need to say. The Lord has need of it. And as they're untying it in Luke's gospel, someone said, the owner of the colt goes, why are you grand theft autoing my donkey? Why are you taking it? And Jesus and the disciples said, the master has need of it. And he said, oh, okay, that's fine, go. That does not work at a car dealership. <laughs> so don't try it. Well, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. No, no, you can't. They brought the donkey. Okay, most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees, palm trees, and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest. Some translations would say Hosanna, which means praise God. The entire, uh, the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. 
Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people. So we, like, okay, so I'm going to, there's a transition. What's happening here? So Jesus has his triumphal entry. He's riding the colt of a donkey. People are laying down. I, I want you to get this. Jesus is not even walking. He's not even walking the ground. The donkey's walking the ground. And if you guys went to Mule Day last week, you know what happens when horses walk on the ground. They had a street sweeper come up. So these people were laying down their garments in front of this donkey, and this donkey was walking on top of these garments that Jesus was riding on. And, and the, they were cutting branches of palm trees, and hence why it's called Palm Sunday. It's the triumphal entry of Christ. But Jesus is the king of all kings. Instead of riding on a white horse with an army, he came in riding on a baby donkey. Being led by his disciples and in the center of this procession, they're laying down things so not even the donkey's feet touch the ground. And they're shouting, Hosanna! Praise to the one who comes in the name of the Lord! And they're worshiping him. And the whole city was, was there and they're like shouting, Hosanna! Praise! And, and, and suddenly Jesus makes his way to the temple. And we step into the temple after this triumphal entry. And what does Jesus do? Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. Man, he went from humbly riding on a, on a donkey to walking in and just kicking tables over and flipping stuff up, driving them out. You know, know what you drive? You drive cattle. And in fact, in John's account, the, and, and the thing is, this is not the first time Jesus drove out people out of the temple. In John chapter 2, earlier in his ministry, Jesus walked into the temple and he saw this happening. So the people didn't learn their lesson. And what did Jesus do there? John tells us he sat there and made a whip. Sitting there watching. I could, I could just see Jesus just in his righteous indignation sitting there just weaving this whip. Just ticked. Because he had the zeal for the house of God. This is a temple of the living God. This is where the Jewish nation came to worship the one true God. And they're making a mockery of it. And he's ticked. Because they're sinning in the house of God. And he makes a whip. And he drives them out. This account doesn't say he has a whip, but the effect is the same. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The leading priest and the teachers of the religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus said, Yes. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? <laughs> I love Jesus. I love him so much. 
Like, you know who he's talking to? He's talking to the priest. He's talking to the religious leaders who have memorized all the scriptures. And he's like, yeah, I hear him. Have you read the scriptures? For they say, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Then he returned to Bethany where he stayed overnight. On, during his triumphal entry, Luke tells us that the people were shouting and praising so loud that these same religious leaders, they were indignant then too. Um, that's the thing with religion. It gets people indignant about stupid stuff. But they were indignant and they said, aren't you going to tell them to stop praising you? And Jesus drops this beautiful line. He said, if they don't praise me, the rocks will praise me. And so the next time you think you're super important, remember a rock can do what you're called to do. Our job is to glorify the name of the Lord. That's it. So we're going to talk about expectations. Everyone here has expectations. We come to church with expectations. Some come to church as habit. Some come to church expecting God to move in a powerful way. Some come to church not knowing what to expect, so they kind of have an expectation of, I don't know, this is just church, or you know, like I've been to church services before. And so, what's crazy is a lot of times we get our expectations met by what we expect. Because God won't violate what we expect. It's kind of an interesting thing. And then there's those other occasions where God surpassed, like we expect God to do something, and when we expect God to do something, God is the only person that will tell you exactly what he's going to do, and then when he does it, exceed your expectations. You're blown away by what he said he was going to do. I'm, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to do this. If you, you know, and, and then he provides, and you're like, whoa, that was way better than I thought, right? He or, or he's like, I'm going to heal you. And then he heals you in his way. I mean, like, God will tell you exactly what he's going to do and then do it and then exceed your expectations. But there's this idea of expecting God to do. And we all have expectations. There's three groups of expectations represented here. And then there is a person that had expectations. So the first group, there, there's the expectations of the fans there's the expectations of the faker, and there's the expectations of the follower. And then there's the expectations that Jesus represented in this section of Scripture. And I want to break down each of these. The expectations of the fan. So every one of us fall into one of these categories. And, and there might be some overlap where we fall into one of these categories. We might, we might hit the fan and the follower. We might hit the, the, the fan and the faker. A little bit. Some characteristics. But what I'm hoping today is as we walk through the expectations of each of these, I want us to take an honest look at ourselves and say, Lord, is this me? Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit, am I falling in to this area? Because if you are... There's hope. Because God wants to transition the fan into a follower. God wants to transition the faker into a follower. 
And so each, each of these, we're going to go straight into the expectations of the fan. And as, we, as I read this and reread it and reread it, we see Jesus walking and riding in on a donkey of a colt. And the people might have been thrown off by this because they had expectations for Jesus. They, they, they said, hey, this is a prophet of, from Nazareth. And, and, and they, they thought that he was the Messiah, which he is. But how they expected him to be the Messiah, and Messiah means Savior. That's When, when you hear the word Messiah, that's a very churchy term when, and, and the world uses it too. Like, they're, like the culture knows what Messiah means. It means Savior. And so they had this idea of what the, their Jewish Messiah that was prophesied would be. And they thought he was going to save them and he was going to be a political leader. That he was going to save them and reestablish the kingdom of God physically on earth in that time, overthrow the Roman Empire, and step in. And, and so when Jesus comes in his triumphal entry, the whole city of Jerusalem's in an uproar, and, and they're worshiping him. Luke tells us they're worshiping him for all the miraculous things he has done for them. So a lot, in fact, Mark's gospel, we know that, or not Mark's, but John's gospel, we know that some of the people that saw just two days before this, Lazarus raised from the dead, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, there are a lot of those people in this crowd. So these people are, are declaring, they're worshiping for what Jesus can do for them. They have expectations, though. They have expectations. And there's, they, were, they were fans of Jesus. Like, I'm a big fan of Cajun food. But I'm not exclusively eating Cajun food. I'm a fan of it. You can be a fan of something and not be sold out to something. And another biblical example is King Herod. King Herod was a huge fan of John the Baptist. If you go back and look, the, this, the dialogue between King Herod and around John the Baptist beheading in the Bible, he loved to listen to John the Baptist preach. Like He loved John the Baptist. And yet, him being a fan of John the Baptist, he still beheaded him. He wasn't a follower. He was a fan. And when I, when I think of a, a sold-out follower, I think of Nathan. And I'm so glad that he wore a Tennessee orange shirt today. Like, I, could, I didn't tell him. He, like, it was the Holy Spirit led him to lead. I mean, but it's like a one in two chance that he's going to wear like a, Because he's a true follower of Tennessee. Like, I'm a fan of Tennessee because I love the state, I love the beauty, but, like, I can go, I can go get decked out in ball stuff. I can go get the orange, um, I can go get the hat, I can, I can go, I can show up and watch, like, but, and I can look like a sold-out follower of the Vols. I could be waving that, that big orange number one thing, like, um, Nathan and I, we could paint our chest, 
We, we, can, we can look the part. And honestly, from, from a casual, at first glance, you would think, dude, Pastor Ryan is a sold-out Vols fan. Come on. And then even on a casual conversation, very casual, you might even think that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. But if you ask me any details about the team, I'd be like, they play in Knoxville, I think. Like, but Nathan, on the other hand, he could tell you probably every championship they've won. He could tell you, how, how many people does that stadium hold? 102,450. Like, I would have been like, it holds thousands of people. It's a huge stadium, which de describes every stadium. So a fan, at first glance, looks like a follower. But it's all surface level. These people, and, and, and another thing about a fan is they follow for what they can get out of it. They followed Jesus for what he can do for them. They were worshiping Jesus for the miracles he's done for them. In the sports world, how many of you guys ever heard of the term bandwagoner? Yeah, it's a fan that, like, as long as you get joy out of watching that team win, you're all for Tennessee. I'm sorry, you guys. If you're a Tennessee fan in this room, you're a true fan because <laughs> they haven't won in a while. I'm just joking. I don't know. Um, but a bandwagoner will follow a team as long as they're winning because they get joy out of cheering on the winning team. But as soon as that team starts to go on a, on a losing streak, suddenly people start making fun of them like, oh, you follow whatever team that is. They suddenly go back in to hiding and then they reemerge as a fan of a different team. And they'll cheer on that team until that team starts to lose. Because they're not sold out. They're a fan. And these people, they, they sang all the right songs. They were worshiping Jesus. They were saying the right things. And at first glance, you would have thought, they were a follower. They followed Jesus from Bethany to Jerusalem, lying on the roads. But they were in it for what Jesus could do for them. They had expectations. And when Jesus didn't meet their expectations, they jumped ship. They're like, oh, this is it. His triumphal entry. He's going to overthrow Rome. And five days later, he's on trial to be crucified. And they're yelling instead of, Hosanna, praise be to God. These same people are yelling, crucify him. Crucify him. Because he doesn't meet my expectations. Because my expectations were for him to do this for me. And, and God doesn't want us to be fans. Fans at first glance look good. But they jump ship. Fans are fickle. They're, they're topsy-turvy. 
The same people that screamed Hosanna were the same people yelling crucify him. Literally five days later. Because Jesus didn't meet their expectation. The danger with being a fan of Jesus is your expectations will always be skewed through your lens. Fans seldom get their expectations met. Why? Because Jesus isn't a genie. He's not here to serve you. He's God. He supplies eternal life to you. He died in your place. But we are creation. He's God. Does he serve us 100%? Because he's a humble God. He served us by going to the cross on our behalf. But he's not here to meet your expectations. He'll exceed them, though, if you follow him. Because your expectations change. Fans of Jesus know enough about him to give the appearance at first glance. Maybe a casual conversation. But at the end of the day, it's always what Jesus can do for them. The good news is, if you find yourself a fan today of Jesus, it's not hard to make the jump to follower. Jesus doesn't turn you away. He didn't. He didn't turn the crowds away. In fact, when the, when the religious leaders and the Pharisees were telling Jesus, you need to shut these people up, these fans up, Jesus said, no, I'm not going to. Because Jesus doesn't turn away your worship. He doesn't turn away your praise. He doesn't turn you away. In fact, he still welcomes it. In fact, he is wanting a deeper relationship with you. He wants it to go past surface level knowledge. He wants it to go past this idea of it's all about me, me, me. Man, if you live your life based on me, 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 you're not going to have friends along. You're not going to have, <laughs> you're going to be a social outcast because no one wants to be around that. I mean, that, that's just a social standard. But God, he, want, he wants to, to get us past this, this fandom of Jesus because fandom doesn't get you into heaven. Fandom gets you tossed and turned when your expectations aren't met. But when, when you become a follower, you're rooted. Nathan, if Tennessee loses every game until they play a high school team, and that's iffy, if they lose every game, are you still going to be following them? Because why? You love them, right? You love Tennessee. You love UT. Like, I'm pretty sure if you cut Nathan right now, he would bleed orange. <laughs> because he's not just a fan. He's not just a fan. 
And, and the thing is, when things don't go our way as a fan, it, it, it wrecks our world. It wrecks our mind. And, and we think we, a fan will blame God. Well, well, Jesus, I thought you were supposed to overturn the Roman Empire, but here you are being crucified. That's not the Messiah I want to follow. Crucify him. But true followers say, no, he is, but he's doing something greater, so I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him when my expectations are met. Because followers' expectations sometimes don't get met. But they trust God regardless. They trust God regardless. The next thing I want to talk to you about is expectations of a faker. A faker. Now, now I'm going to be really clear and very blunt. God loves every person. But these are the people that how he deals with them to get them to repent is completely different than how he deals with a fan. Okay? These are people who are straight faking a relationship with God. The money changers, the Pharisees, all these people. He goes into the temple, overturns it. These people were serving God by robbing people. That that's a contradiction. They believe that God doesn't care about the sin they are openly committing because life is good and they appear to be getting blessed. A faker believes a lie from the enemy that God does not care about sin in their lives because they appear to be getting blessed. So they think God's favor must be upon them. And now listen, listen to me very carefully. I'm not talking about Christians who are wrestling with sin. We all wrestle with sin. We wrestle and battle against our flesh and blood. I'm not talking about people, Christians, who occasionally give into temptation. I'm talking about people who claim to be a Christian and yet live an openly wrong lifestyle, whatever that is, they, instead of fighting the sin in their life, they embrace the sin in their life. Instead of repenting over the sin of their life, they're hugging the sin in their life. It almost becomes like a badge of honor. That, that's what I'm talking about. They're fakers. And, and I'm not going to name a sin because any sin can cr cross that line. Every Christian wrestles with sin. You cannot live this life without wrestling with sin. Like, I, I don't care who you are, but that's the point. You wrestle and fight and you repent. There's this beautiful saying is, you're not, you're not, you are not who you used to be, so keep rejoicing. And you're not yet who God's making you to be, so keep repenting. That's the walk of the Christian life. You keep rejoicing because God is transforming you into the image of his son, and you keep repenting because the Holy Spirit's transforming you into the image of Jesus. But when we quit fighting, when we quit struggling, when we quit repenting, we cross the line. And we become a faker. We claim to be something we're not. Jesus loves you. If you're here today and that, that hits you, Jesus loves you. 
But throughout scripture, these are the people that he has the least amount of patience with. Initially. Paul, in the first Corinthian church, there's this woman and man. This man was sleeping with a stepmom. And they were claiming to be Christians. And it was wrong. And he said, expel them and give them over to Satan. So, they will repent and come back. God's end goal is always repentance. So when Jesus walks into the temple, and you might say, what's the big deal about him walking into the temple? He's addressing the fakers. He's addressing sin openly in the temple of God. Openly. And he doesn't have much tolerance for that. Because he loves them. He loved them enough to drive them out. So they repent. He did it twice. He he drove them out. God's end goal is always repentance. But like, so how were they sinning? Let's let's talk about this for a second. Because the, the Bible doesn't really get into it. But this is how they were sinning. On Passover, Jewish people from all over the Roman Empire and Asia Minor would come to Jerusalem to offer their sacrifice to God to cover their sin. Okay? So that's what they would do. But in order to offer their sacrifice, they had to have a spotless lamb. So a lamb that was completely white without blemish to be sacrificed. And a lot of times what would happen is, if if you read any historical account, what would happen is the, the temple would actually have dedicated shepherds that would raise sheep that, and breed sheep to be spotless because many people who were traveling, say, from Spain back to Jerusalem, they didn't want to travel with livestock. That's an added expense. They had to feed the livestock. It's, it's not, that would be a month's journey. So they would have sheep available to buy so you can make your annual sacrifice to God, right? And, and some people... Um, they would bring their own sheep in from the local countryside. If they lived near enough, they could bring their own sheep in. And the, the, the priest would inspect them. And what would end up happening a lot of the times is the priest would inspect the sheep for the sacrifice for the previous year's sin and say, oh, you know what? This sheep that you brought in is not good enough. There is this spot on it right here. So, But we have these temple-ready sheep right here. So you can just buy one of our sheep and use and so people would have, like, to, they, have, they, they wanted to worship God. These people wanted to worship God according to how God told them to worship in the law of Moses. So they're trying to honor God. They're trying to show up. They're bringing their, their sheep, if they're probably local, or they're buying sheep that are from the temple to sacrifice to worship God. Now here's where the sin happens. You can only buy sheep with the Jewish shekel. It's a, it's a temple, it's, and, and, and the Jewish shekel was only used in the temple. So these people from all over the Roman Empire and Asia Minor, they would be coming with Roman coinage. And the only place on earth that used the Jewish shekel was the temple. It was gold, and it was gold, but that, that's what it was. And so instead of giving a fair exchange rate, like a Roman dollar, I don't, I don't know what it's called, a Roman dollar to a Jewish shekel, say it was a one-to-one exchange rate. These money changers would give them like a 
20 to 1 or a 10 to 1 exchange rate. So they would, for one Jewish shekel, they would charge them way more money and then they would, it was extortion. And then the priest would get a cut, the money changers would get a cut, and they were making money off of these people who were trying to be obedient to God. And Jesus wasn't okay with this. He's never okay with sin. But these people were probably thinking, well, I'm doing a service for them. I'm making sure that they can have a spotless lamb. I am exchanging their money for money that's dictated in the law, like you had to use a Jewish shekel in the temple. You couldn't use foreign currency. So they're doing them a service. But they were extorting the they were taking advantage of these people instead of helping them worship God they were hurting their worship of God and Jesus walks in and he sees robbery if, if we saw that today what would we call that we would call that robbery right I don't know if you guys pump gas lately but I wonder what Jesus would do there kick the pump I don't know but Jesus wasn't okay with it. But these people, these money changers, these priests, they were all in on it. They were faking a relationship with God. And they're the very people that people were turning to to worship God. The expectations of a faker. The expectations of a faker is God must be okay with my sin because life is good. I seem to be, be I seem to be getting blessed. God must not care about it. Let me tell you, that is a lie from the pit of hell. God does care about it because God knows something and he tells us this. The wages of sin is death. When we allow sin, when we embrace sin openly in our life, it will always lead to death. Maybe physically here on earth and most definitely eternally in hell. Every single time. You, you look at drug addicts. How many, how many movie stars have, have, have died of an overdose and they had all the money in the world? They seem to be getting blessed, but they died of an overdose because sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death. The only thing that sin can earn is death. But I love God's conjunction, junctions, what's your functions? But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. These money changers and these priests thought God was okay with it. He hasn't struck them dead yet. I mean, like, they're doing this in the temple until Jesus showed up and he overturned it. Once you hear the truth and you continue in it, there's not an excuse. There's not an excuse for you. Jesus already warned them. In fact, he forged a whip and drove them out. 
and this is the second time, if you find yourself here today and you think God is okay with sin, that you aren't fighting or resisting anymore. In fact, you're like the money changers and have openly embraced it. I can confidently tell you that Jesus still isn't okay with sin. I can also confidently tell you this. Jesus loves you so much. He has paid the penalty for your sin. So you don't have to fake a relationship with Jesus anymore. He wants the real one. And you can have a real relationship with him. The money changers and the priest, these religious leaders, they didn't have to fake. Because Jesus wanted a real relationship with them too. In God's love, he drove them away from their sin. In effort, hopefully they'll repent. Hopefully they'll repent. And the last expectation I want to... Last two actually, but... The expectations of a follower. So we got to jump back to the beginning of our section of scripture. And right at the beginning of the section of scripture, Jesus is coming down to Bethpage and he sees a town. His disciples are with him and he sends two disciples into a town. And he tells them, as you enter the town, you will see the colt of a donkey tied up. As you walk in, as you walk in, you need to untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone asks why you're taking their donkey, if the owners ask, tell them the master needs it and they'll let you. So the disciples went expecting to find a donkey tied up as they entered the town. And they did. And they walked over to the donkey. And they untied it. And as they were untying it, the owners asked, why are you taking my donkey? And they said, the master has need of it. And he let them go and take it. The, the, the followers did exactly what God told them to do. And I want you to get this. Their expectations were the only ones that got met. Followers are the only, only ones whose expectations get met. Why? Of the three, the fakers, the fans, and the followers, why were the followers the only ones who had their expectations met? I would say, unlike the fans who followed Jesus for what he could do for them, as he met their, as he met their, their expectations, they were good. True followers serve Jesus. These followers were doing as they were told. They weren't telling Jesus what to do. Jesus told them what to do. And as they did what Jesus told them to do, their expectations were met. Imagine. I mean, think about what's happening here. Jesus is operating in a gift of knowledge from the Holy Spirit. He's riding over a hill, coming down this hill from the Mount of Olives, and he sees a town. And he, as he sees the town, this thought goes through his mind. There's a donkey in that town that I'm supposed to ride on. And then he turns to Peter and John, I don't know who it is, but he turns to two of his disciples and says, 
go get that donkey in that town. There's going to be one. And as he's saying it, the Holy Spirit's saying, it's tied up as you enter the town. And then as he's telling him that, he turns around and says, the master's going to ask you why he's taking it, and you tell him this. So he's listening to the Holy Spirit as he's telling the disciples what to do. And the disciples are just operating in obedience. They're following Jesus already on the, on the road, down the Mount of Olives, and then they follow his commands. And as they follow his commands, I can only imagine, I can only imagine their reaction as they walk into a town, a village, and they see a donkey tied up over here. I would have been like, oh my gosh, that's crazy, that's crazy, you know? And then, and then they, they start to untie it, no one's around, and then all of a sudden this guy walks out, he's like, hey, what are you doing with my donkey? And they're like, oh my goodness, that's crazy. The master had knees up. He said, oh, let's take it. They're like, oh my goodness, that's crazy. As they walk, their expectations are being met as they walk in obedience. Followers are the only ones that get their expectations. I would say unlike the fakers who fake following God, who put on a facade and look to make a profit off the people who were truly trying to worship God. True followers truly worship, truly follow. True followers aren't in it for what they can get out of God. True followers help other people worship. True followers truly worship. True followers truly follow. True followers aren't in it for what they can get out of it. True followers don't put a roadblock in others' worships like a faker will. True followers help others worship. They get their expectations met. The other day, I was here, and staff meeting ended, and um, if you know Pastor Ben or I, you know that if we start talking to one another, seasons change. <laughs> Time slows down. <laughs> we'll talk about anything, everything, but we started talking, and I ended up leaving way later than I, I intended to. And so on the way home, I started asking myself, Lord, this is not when I intended to be home, so why am I out this late? And I looked at the clock and it said 10.01. And my mind went like this, 10.01. You know, it's 8.01 in California. I have family in California. As soon as I said that, it, like my brain is just racing. I'm praying, Lord, why am I out this late? Like, I'm glad I got to talk to Pastor Ben, and Pastor Ben hasn't even heard this. Like, it was a life-giving conversation, at least to me. I can't say that for him. But... I'm, I'm, I'm driving home, and as soon as I, this thought went through my head, I was like, I have family in California, and it's only 801 there. This thought went through my head. Call your cousin. I'm like, I haven't talked to her in 18 years. Okay. I don't have her number, so I called her through Facebook Messenger. And call your cousin and pray with her. That was the thought that went through my head. So I did it. And I said, hey, this is your cousin, and I want you to know, this is what I said right out the gate, I'm crazy. 
She's like, okay. I said, because I felt like I'm supposed to call and pray with you. And every prompting, and that's what I told her. I said, I, I live my life by this. Every prompting is an opportunity for obedience to God. He prompted me to call and pray with you, so I want to be obedient. And as I said that, the Lord told me to tell her that he has heard the prayers that she's been praying lately about her children. She started crying. And then as I said that, I felt like I needed to say, you got diagnosed with something that you haven't told but maybe one or two people, and God's here to heal you. And then God wants to restore a relationship with your children. And like, I honestly, I, I don't talk to her. I don't follow her. I know she's my cousin. And she just starts weeping. And I said, and then I told her, I'm not Jesus. And I don't hear the Holy Spirit perfectly. These are passing thoughts that I'm stepping in. And she said, I just got diagnosed with some sort of autoimmune disorder today. I'm only told my dad. Wow. Wow. And then she said, my son is running from God. And he needs that relationship restored. I said, okay. So we prayed. She has a follow-up in a week. And I told her, I said, your follow-ups, you're going to be healed. It's not going to be there anymore. She said, I've had this for 37 years, and I just now got diagnosed with it. And I asked her, I said, well, there's another person who had the issue for 37 years, and Jesus asked one question. Do you want to be healed? I'm going to ask you the same thing. Do you? And she said, yes. And then I told her, and this is what I felt like I needed to tell her. I said, as I pray for you, you're going to feel the fire of God burn through your body, and it's going to burn it out. We started praying. She started crying, and she, said, and she said, I feel the fire of God burning through me. She's like, I feel God's presence so strong. And then we, we prayed, and we got off the phone, and I'm sitting in my garage. This is like 10, 15 now. Like, I can't go to sleep. I just wanted to pray and praise God. But the expectations of a follower will always be met because a follower does what God tells him to do. We're here to follow Jesus and do what he tells us to do. And the last thought I want to leave you with, Pastor Ben, if you would, is the expectations of Jesus. Jesus had expectations too. Jesus fully expected there to be a donkey there. Why? Because it was prophesied hundreds of years that this would happen. Everything that God said to Jesus happened. And so Jesus had these expectations that were met. Because why? Because Jesus walked in obedience to the Holy Spirit. And today, I want to end with this thought. Jesus has expectations for today. 2,000 years ago, he had a triumphal entry into a city called Jerusalem. 
Right after that triumphal entry, he went in and cleared the temple. And he's still having triumphal entries. And he's still clearing temples. And he wants to have some triumphal entries today. What does a triumphal entry of Jesus look like today? It looks like surrender. What is Jesus entering? He's not entering a city. He's entering our lives. And so what does surrender look like to Jesus? It's full acknowledgement that he is God. That he died for our sin in our place on a cross. And that he raised to life, putting faith in Jesus, saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. When we ask Jesus to become Lord and King of our hearts, that's the triumphal entry. That is what Jesus wants to do today. And that's what he's expecting to do. So we have an option. Are we going to be a fan and be like, yeah, oh, that requires me to humble myself. Are we going to be a faker and just keep going, yeah, and all the while embracing sin in our life and not wanting to surrender it to God? You don't have to live. Here's the thing with sin. It always overpromises and 100% underdelivers because it will be seem good for a, a while. It'll seem great for a while, but then in the end, it will rob you. I mean, let, let's, let's, let's just talk about some common ones. Shacking up together. Shacking up together. You think that that's a great thing. You know, sex before marriage, all this, this stuff. And sex is a gift, but... Uh, and then you move in together and you're living together and you're like, we're practically married. No, you're not. Marriage is a covenant between God and you and your spouse. You're not practically married. And statistically, and this is how sin robs you. Statistically, when people shack up before marriage, it's like 85% of the time they get divorced. Statistically. And then statistically, if you've gone through one divorce... You'll probably go through more divorces because sin ruins things. Sin ruins things. Statistically, if you, I'm just giving you statistics. So if you sleep with your spouse before marriage, your, the average divorce rate of that marriage skyrockets. Like I'm telling you, because sin leads to death. It, it promises something in the short term, pleasure, but then it robs you of joy in the long term. And, I, and I'm, I'm getting at this because Jesus wants to have a triumphal entry. The only way you can have a triumphal entry is when we decide to be a follower of Jesus. And we lay it all down before him. And we say, Jesus, forgive me. No more facade, no more faking, no more fandom. I want to follow you. And get this. He'll clear the temple. That's a good thing. Every one of us in here needs to have the temple cleared regularly. And what's the temple today? 
back, back in Jesus' day, it was a physical location. It was a ginormous, beautiful building. What's the temple today? First Corinthians tells us we are not our own. We were bought with a price. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does not like clutter. He doesn't like to share space. We're his temple. If we are a follower, we're his. That means he gets to tell us where to go. What to do. How to do. Go and tie that donkey. Bring it to me. That's what a follower does. And we say, okay. And then as we do that, though, our expectations are met. Our expectations are exceeded because God loves you. God loves you. So how are we going to respond? What are we going to do with this? We're going to respond in a way I think that God wants us to respond. I'm going to open up the front for people who need prayer. So this is what I want us to do. I want us to stand. I don't want us to stand. Let's let Jesus, Jesus' expectations will be met because there are people online that are going to be watching this. They're going to give their heart to Jesus. There are people in this room today that are going to give their life to Jesus. They're going to go from a faker to a follower. They're going to go from a fan to a follower. There are people in here today that, that need to just let Jesus clear the temple. There are people in here today that just need to let people Jesus clear the temple. There, there are people in here today that you, you've been embracing sin and that's actually the very, like, you're praying for God to, like, heal your body. You're praying for God to, to move, and yet you're embracing sin. And, and God's saying, repent of that, and I will heal you.